Welcome to Gain Meets, the new podcast from Gain, a UK charity on a mission to empower and educate the next generation of investment professionals. Join us as we explore the exciting world of investment management and introduce you to key investment concepts, no previous knowledge needed. So whether you're a student looking to pursue a career in finance or a young professional looking to expand your knowledge, Gain Meets is a fantastic way to learn about investment concepts and sharpen your industry knowledge. Perfect for exploring your options or to give you an added edge when it comes to interviews. So tune in and get ready to gain a new perspective on investment management careers. Hi, and welcome to today's Gain Meets podcast. My name is Anne-Marie Fleurby, and I am one of the co-founders and one of the trustees of Gain Girls Are Investors. And I am absolutely delighted to be joined today by Lottie Maggot, who is uh, the ESG analyst at a fund management firm based in London. And she works at Independent Franchise Partners. And we are just delighted to have you here today. Lottie, welcome. Great. Thank you very much. Good to be here. So thanks so much for uh, taking time to talk to us today. So we are here today to talk about and learn about working in public equity investing and particularly in public equity investing with a long-term investment horizon. And I also wanted to explore with you today how you are working to embed sustainability into your investment process. So we will uh, cover all of that over the course of the next um 20 or so minutes. But before we get into that, it would be great to hear a little bit about you and about your career to date, how you got interested in investment management in the first place, and uh, how you landed your current role with independent franchise partners. Yeah, sure. So I have to be honest here and say that in my, my career in investment management, it does feel like it's been entirely due to good fortune. Mm. So for just a bit of background. I studied classics at university. Um, probably should have been classics and rowing, but unfortunately, the the rowing wasn't academically recognised. <laughs> but it's it's safe to say I knew nothing about investment management. Um, and actually, at the time, I was adamant that I was going to be a, a journalist. I was a, a news junkie. I um I love I particularly loved kind of books about financial scandals. So absolutely everything by Michael Lewis I completely devoured the Enron story that that type of thing so I really like the idea of being a, a business journalist um, but I, I did an internship um, in my penultimate year at university and that kind of dispelled me of the glamour of, of that <laughs> career um, and it, ma- it made me start to, to think more broadly about like what other opportunities could be out there um, so I finished my first three years um, at Cambridge and I just applied to do a, a fourth year um, and it, it just so happened that the the sponsor of the University Rowing Club at the time Newton Investment Management was looking for a, a grad to join its its marketing team as a investment writing specialist so that would involve preparing fund commentaries mm-hmm. writing thought pieces podcasts all kinds of other um, materials all about investing um, so I went for that role. Um, I did not expect to get it at all, but I, you know, I really, I remember really enjoying the interviews and the people I met there. And 
was lucky enough to get the job and I, I, I thought about doing another year at university, but I thought actually this would be great training to be a journalist. I can go and be an, an insider and learn about the industry. So when I go and do that part of my career, it'd be excellent training. Um, so I spent my first few years at Newton in that um, in that team, it was called Investment Communications, um, and I absolutely loved it. Um, and in hindsight, it was the the best first job possible, really. Um, and that's because in that type of role, I got to meet everyone and work with everyone from across the business. So I saw equities, I saw fixed income, I saw global, I saw emerging markets, I saw portfolio management roles and, and research roles. So it was really good for kind of getting me started and thinking like what what role would be right for me within this um and the thing i was drawn to straight away was a, a research analyst role i loved research that's what i spent most of my university um life doing and i felt like i had some skills there that i could use and the two kind of research aspects that i was particularly joint drawn to were um sustainability mm. and the consumer sectors um sustainability because it was so new and everyone was still working out how do you do um, valuable ESG research that's relevant for an investment process and then on the with the consumer sectors I kind of I'm quite fascinated by luxury goods I'm a consumer myself and at the time the the team was run by um, three kind of really great women who are very cool role models Um, and again through unbelievable luck uh, a role came up in the the ESG uh, ESG team to do research specifically on the 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 consumer consumer side so that was the the next stage of my career Um, and then in 2020 the the opportunity came up to to come to franchise partners to add specific ESG research in that team and create a more structured um, approach to ESG within a incredibly well-established um, investment team and, and process and philosophy. And that's where I am at the moment. That's such a, such a great story. And I think it brings out so many, so many threads I'd love to explore. We just don't have time to do it today. But that idea of not just that investment management can um, attract people from lots of different backgrounds and lots of different academic uh, profiles, but also that there's lots of different routes in that you, you kind of came in as someone who is focused more on the writing than the investment side, but then the investment side really captured your attention. And I think that's, um, I think that's so important for people to understand that this is, a, that there's, um, this is not a cookie cutter industry and that there's loads of people with backgrounds that don't necessarily fit in the typical you know, accepted wisdom finance buckets that there's lots of folks yeah. like you that, that have that different background. So it's just wonderful to hear that, that, that your experience and how you kind of came into things in the first place. So thanks for sharing that. Maybe just transitioning then and using this as an opportunity to transition into you, you, you landed this role with independent franchise partners. And um, as you say that they, um, you, you came to join them in 2020. Tell us a bit about the investment philosophy at Independent Franchise Partners and what it is that's unique about them and the approach that attracted you to them. And um, mm-hmm. also, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you are incorporating 
sustainability into your investment process? So it's a kind of a two-part question, but if you start with what it is that you guys are doing, that's a little bit different, and then Mm -hmm. how you're incorporating sustainability into that. Yeah, sure. So at Franchise Partners, we invest in global public equities, but within that, we've got a very specific set of criteria for what we will invest in. So in short, we're looking for companies that have some form of durable competitive advantage that's really hard for their competitors to replicate. And that competitive advantage comes from intangible assets. And those intangible assets in turn come in many different forms. So just to give you a few examples, um, brands, so um, household consumer goods brands or, or luxury goods brands, um, drug patents that are held by pharmaceutical companies or um, network effects that have been so created by e-commerce platforms or, or social media networks. Um, there's, there's a broader range than that, but that's just to, to give you a, a sense of the types of um, intangible assets we're looking at. And then really importantly, we apply a, a very strict valuation criteria mm-hmm. to, to our investment decisions as well. And very few companies tend to meet this, this quite strict quality and valuation criteria. Um, so we tend to have quite a small investment universe um, of about just under 200 companies, and then in turn have very concentrated portfolios. So very few companies make the grade on that um, quality and valuation criteria. So when it comes to ESG, um, ESG really is, is just another tool that we're using to help help us assess the quality of a, of a company's intangible assets and to better understand the, the valuation. So I often say that really we treat ESG factors just like um, any other risk factor. And so quite often ESG approaches are starting to be um, put in buckets. So the, the, the way I describe the, the particular ESG bucket that, that we fit into is um, ESG integration. So I describe that as a returns-led approach to ESG. So really focused on um, risk fa- ESG risk factors that are um, going to, that are financially material. So, but within that, um, it's also quite a, a broad and long-term definition of, of financial materiality as well. So broad because we're not just looking at um, kind of the obvious financial impacts of ESG issues, so regulatory penalties or legal cases. We're, we're thinking about those things that are really hard to measure that can have an impact on a, on a company's intangible assets. So an example might be um, reputational damage and what that brings mm. for the brand mm-hmm. um, or how a company treats its workforce and what that means for culture and their ability to attract the best employees and then be really innovative. Um, So a really broad definition of of what's financially material. Again, I I think that what what you're drawing out is so important and something I feel very strongly that um, I think people kind of think of sustainability and responsible investing in ESG as kind of this, you know, these people who are in one room and then the decision makers, the investors are in another room and the two things are not necessarily married. And I actually think that it's so important that that sustainability isn't just this add-on, This it, it's embedded into the investment process. And what you're describing mm-hmm. is, you know, this re- returns-led um, 
this returns led process where you're focusing on how ESG might, how ESG factors might influence the actual valuation of a company and the attractiveness mm-hmm. of an investment opportunity and, and how those things are too, so closely aligned. I, I, I love that about your process because the two things shouldn't be separate. I, yeah, I could not agree more. Um, and you know, for me, that was the, the real draw to come somewhere like franchise partners where it's a really small team and you have a seat around the table when those investment decisions are being made and you know working with investors who know these companies inside out and you know really thinking about how ESG issues could become more material in the long term like that's the that's a really fun thing about my job absolutely and I think you know I think it's important to make the the point that if 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 some of the audience is interested in sustainability as an, as a philosophy to actually be in the room, as you say, when the decisions mm-hmm. being made to allocate capital, to make an investment, to be one of those voices and not just a random input that's off to the side, it's so powerful. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's really important for the, the two sides of you know, those, that equation to be married. And the last thing I would want to see is have people go into sustainable investing and be not risk takers. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's, it's about how you allocate capital and how that capital then impacts decisions, you know, not just one year down the road, but five, 10 and 20 years down the road, which actually leads really well into the, the next question I had. And you know, do you consider yourselves long-term investors? Is this, you know, is, is, is your, is your investment process, is your investment philosophy, does it marry well with the idea of being long-term? Completely. It's, yeah, it's very much a a buy and hold approach. And how does, how does the sustainability fit in with that long-term view? Like how do the two things fit together? So because we have that long-term horizon, it means we've also got to take a a long-term approach to assessing risks and so many sustainability or ESG risks are ones that are really only going to play out over a really long-term horizon. So an example is environmental regulation, which could change dramatically over Mm -hmm. kind of 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, Kind of Sadly, the, 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 the physical impact of climate change and how that could change food production could be significant as well. But these are all risks that are going to play out over a long time period. So if you're a long term investor, you absolutely need to be looking at them now and what companies are doing to invest in, man- in managing them at the moment. And the other thing I'd, I'd really want to bring out is that as a long term investor that really influences what you do in terms of um, stewardship when it comes to sustainability issues so um, by stewardship I mean um, essentially being an active owner so engaging with companies exercising your voting rights um, and I'm going to really badly paraphrase Warren Buffett here which feels like a, a no-no for a, for a podcast but so we very much don't see ourselves as just owning pieces of paper. We see ourselves as, you know, we own companies, not just you know, these these certificates that you can trade on a daily basis. We are long-term owners of companies, and that means that you've got to be responsible owners as well. And it, that, you know, that means you've really got to be thinking about 
are companies managing those long-term sustainability risks in the right way? And if you don't think they are, it means engaging and using the, all the many engagement tools at your disposal to um, try and get them to, to, to manage those risks in a better way. Yeah, and I think that that long-term investment horizon, you start to think about what are the externalities that might impact the value of this business, not just next quarter, but 10 years from now. And is the management not just A, a aware of those risks? You know, are they B, thinking about how to address those risks in the future? And are they, do they have partners such as yourselves who are investors who will sit alongside them through potentially tumultuous times between today and 10 years from now, but working as um, partnership capital in many respects where you, you say, actually, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm happy with the volatility and the share price short term, as long as you're making, as long as you're stewarding the capital in a, in a way that you know, ref will add value in the long term and take into account these other externalities. I think that's a, a real differentiator of your process. Mm -hmm. And again, being being a long term investor gives you that credibility with companies mm -hmm. when you're advocating for this change because they know you're not just in it for the short term mm -hmm. to make a quick buck. You're you're there as their partner, and if you're advocating for something, it's because you really think it's in their their best interests. Definitely. Um, you've now been an ESG specialist for a long period of time. And, and I think there's been a big wave in the last couple of years into the, into the sector, into the um, expert area of expertise. But how has ESG as a concept or as an investment philosophy changed in the last decade? Yeah, yeah. So you know, from a, a, a pure investment point of view, it's definitely becoming more material and there's you know argu arguably um greater greater clarity on how it could be more material in the long term so whether that's more regulation legal risks physical impacts from climate that we've talked about um a big change as well as at the extent to which asset owners so the clients of investment managers mm. are really putting it front and center um, and how they're allocating their capital. And that's, that's because their beneficiaries care as well. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this means that the, the industry isn't just hiring more people, although, although it, it definitely is. But as we talked about earlier, um, I think the approach to ESG is becoming a lot more um, sophisticated, slowly, um, and, and managers start, are starting to integrate it much more as opposed to having it as a a kind of niche separate part of their mm. process they're bringing into their process and more and more ESG people are, are getting a seat around the table where the important decisions are, are getting made and and that just wasn't happening in the past um but there's you know, there's still so much more um change to come um so much more evolution and techniques to develop in terms of working out how ESGs impacting investing um so there's so much more work for bright, young, keen people to come and do. So please come and join me. <laughs> we need Excellent. your help. Excellent. And we'll come to that one second. I guess maybe one final question on that point there is, you know, if you look at, I think my my interpretation or my impression 10 years ago is that ESG was kind of a very box ticky exercise. And mm -hmm. it feels like it's really evolved. But perhaps mm -hmm. that's 
perhaps that's a naive point of view. Do you get a sense that it's kind of evolved from being this, you know, very kind of process driven thing to a more, as you say, integrated into the investment process? I'd say a bit of both. Um, There's definitely, there's been a risk in, in, in the ESG world to try and do ESG as quickly as possible by taking that more box ticky approach. Mm. But I'm generally quite positive that um, kind of year on year, people are under, uh, coming to it with more sophistication and that and understanding that that box ticking approach isn't, um, isn't the way forward. I've got to imagine that the more it becomes integrated into the investment process and moves away from that box ticking um, exercise that the, the job becomes far more interesting. So um, hopefully, hopefully that's the case and hopefully we can get lots more young people interested in, in joining you. Um, and actually that brings me really, really well, well onto my last question for you. Sitting in your seat as a, a high profile investor at a wonderful firm, you are a role model for young women considering investment management. And um, I, I wonder if you'd share with us today, you know, not just the best career advice you've ever received, but maybe the career advice that you'd pass along to young people and young women today. And they don't necessarily have to be the same thing. It could be, but it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly the same. Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. Um but given my um, my slightly circuitous career path, I think the one thing I want to pass on more than anything is that really take those good opportunities that come your way, even if they're not what you thought in your head you planned for originally. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think there's a lot of pressure um, at university to to follow a specific path with this end career goal in mind. Um, but I really want to reassure people and hopefully my career path is an example of that, that even if you don't have that finance degree, you didn't do an internship or you, you, know, you didn't get that grad role as a, an analyst on a, on a desk, that investment management absolutely is still, is still open to them. And actually that um, slightly circuitous path gives you a lot of skills that um, might help you stand out later in your career. Um, so one of the things that's been so helpful for me is that in that first couple of years in the uh, the marketing and communications team at Newton, I learned a huge amount about how to communicate with clients and, and make complicated concepts as, as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in like reporting is kind of a, a, a really popular thing in ESG at the moment. So like the, the skills and the techniques that I, I learned in my couple of years doing that have been so helpful kind of 10 years down the line uh, in a ESG role as well. I love that advice. I think, I think young people might look at your career, even hearing you tell it, or they might look at my career and think, oh, you know, it's a, this kind of linear path into success. And, you know, I always say that my career has been a complete random walk and, you know, full of potholes and pitfalls and failures along the way but at the end of the day it's like as you say taking those great opportunities when they come and um, really taking advantage of 
when someone says, Hey, are you interested in doing this? If it kind of lights you up saying, yeah, actually that sounds kind of cool and kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do that and not ruling yourself out because I think if somebody had said, Oh, you're going to be an investment manager. And, um, you know, maybe when you're first at university, you probably would have said, Oh, that's not for me. I want to be a journalist, but you know, kind of taking that chance and going to Newton really kind of led you into this new, this new area completely. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how many people, when I share that with some you know, really successful people, I share that with them kind of guiltily and they say exactly the same thing happened to them. I'm actually reassured by the fact you've said that. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. More failure than I care to count. But yeah, and a lot of lucky breaks, you same know, man. a lot of lucky yeah. breaks and a lot of failures. I think it's it's just part of the part and parcel of the of the journey, but hopefully more, more lucky breaks and success than failures. Touch wood. Mm. Um, mm. Listen, Lottie, thank you so, so much for um, sharing your story today and deeply appreciate your time. Um, I think what you're doing is really interesting with a great group of people. And I think um, I'm delighted to have you on the podcast today if there are any listeners who want to find out a little bit more about Lottie and what she does and what uh, we as investors do, I highly, highly encourage you to please go to the GAIN website, which is uh, gainuk.org. There's loads of resources and recommended readings and videos and podcasts and um, hopefully a wealth of, uh, and a jobs board, I'd highlight that. And uh, hopefully a wealth of resources for you to, to learn a bit more and um, wishing you the best of luck. And Lottie, thanks so much again. No problem at all. It's good fun. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening now. And if you'd like to find out more about our work and how we can help you, visit gameuk.org. We'll see you soon.